0: Hello and welcome to Winning Retail. This episode features an interview with Dean Fru and Johan Stenstrom, CTO and SVP of SML Group and supply chain developer at Stadium, respectively. SML recently partnered with Stadium to provide their item-level RFID solutions, helping increase inventory accuracy at the Swedish sports retailer to 99.5%. On today's episode, Dean and Johan discuss the origins of their partnership, the buy-in needed for digital transformation, and why the most successful retailers are the ones challenging their assumptions about inventory accuracy. But first, a word from our sponsors.
1: This podcast is presented by Dell Technologies and Intel. Together, we help you realize digital transformation across retail by driving IT innovation to better engage with today's connected consumer. Learn more at delltechnologies.com retail and intel.com retail. So please enjoy this interview between Dean Fru and Johan Stenstrom
0: and your host, Tony Saldana. Hey, hello, and welcome to a new episode of Winning Retail, the podcast that's been designed for retail executives like you. We want to help you turn the biggest retail disruptions into the biggest opportunities. My name is Tony Saldana, and today I'm really excited to have Dean Thru, who's the CTO and SVP of RFID Solutions at SML Group, and Johan Stenstrom, Supply Chain Developer at Stadium. So today's episode was fascinating because we got into a technology, RFID, which in the minds of most people is a done deal. It's it's, it's something that was very, very popular about 15 years ago to track inventory. But what's fascinating about the work that Dean and Johan have done is that they have actually found a use for this, which is a very relevant use. Previously, RFIDs was used at a pallet or a batch level. Now, inventory accuracy or of stocks at the store level imply that RFID really needs to be used at an item level. And the story of how they actually not just used it, but they delivered tremendous value to stadium is fascinating. So please go ahead, enjoy the conversation. Hey, welcome to the show, Dean and Johan. Thank you. Thank you. I've been really looking forward to this because uh, we're going to be talking about a technology that's not necessarily very new, but one that still has incredible potential. And the success story of the work that Dean and Johan have done is definitely worth recounting. But let's start at the beginning, as as always. Let's start with the company stadium. And Johan, if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about Firstly, yourself, and then also about Stadium, please.
2: Yeah, so my name is Johan Steenström, and I'm a supply chain developer for Stadium. And I've actually been working for Stadium for quite, quite a while, about 25 years, in different parts of the company, the last 14 years in the logistics department. And Stadium is a sporting goods company, and we are market leader in Scandinavia have about 180 stores
0: I actually do remember walking into stadium when we lived and traveled in Europe some years ago yeah. fascinating collection so it's actually nice to be speaking to somebody from the company of course as you said very well known that part of the world and Dean if you wouldn't mind tell us a little bit about your backstory and about your
1: company SML. Sure. I mean, SML is headquartered in Hong Kong, was founded in 1985, focusing on making packaging and trim for the retail industry. So care labels, price tickets, things like that. And, and in 2010, began the founder and the executive team began seeing that the, that market was going to transition to an item level world using RFID and began making investments. And in 2013, purchased my software company that I had founded out of Dallas. And now our company offers non-RFID packaging and trim, RFID packaging and trim, and RFID enterprise solutions. RFID represents about 40% of our business at the end of last year, and it's growing tremendously as expected. And we have offices in over 30 countries. We have solution deployments in over 40 countries. And real excited about the work that we've done together with our partner at Stadium, with Johan and his team, and looking forward to today's conversation.
0: I I mentioned at the outset that RFID isn't necessarily a new technology, and and that kind of goes back, as we were talking just before the show, to Walmart's leadership in this space and Procter & Gamble, my old company's work, and so on and so forth. So in many ways, this seems like a technology that's been around and familiar to everybody. But at the same time, there are pieces of RFID application that seem to be completely new. So what has changed? Is it the complexity of supply chain? Is it the fact that outer stocks and supply chain have become general terms that even school goers seem to know these days in the COVID industry environment? So let me start with you, Dean. What's new?
1: Yeah. I mean, if if you go back to 99 through 2001, a number of us had the privilege of working in the Auto ID Lab at MIT as commercial entities, developing the standards. And then immediately after that, Walmart initiated their standard, Tony, and you were probably part of that at P&G. We supported companies like PepsiCo and ExxonMobil and Dial and L'Oreal and so on. But what really changed was those were at the case and pallet level. And what really changed was Somewhere around 2007 to 2008, a number of retailers, including Walmart and Marks & Spencer, determined that the real market for this was not at the case and pallet level, but was at the item level and was with retail markets that had very high skew complexity. And that, of course, is apparel. It doesn't matter if you have a blue shirt if it's not a blue medium shirt, which you're looking for. And so, to me, when I look at the history and... And, and walking through this a little bit myself is I saw this huge transition, a pivot point in that period where the technology found the right market, yeah. Yeah. which was item level at for high skew complexity markets like apparel, footwear, home goods was really where the value proposition was. Yeah. If, if you could get better inventory accuracy on how many medium, smalls, large, extra large et cetera, that you have of each of your style, size, and colors, then you had a better chance of meeting the consumer's needs. And, and so to me, that was one big change. And of course, the other is things that follow Moore's Law. I mean, we just saw okay. better and better performance. And, and so now we're at a place where we've seen probably a close to more than an order of magnitude improvement in performance in the last 15 years in sensitivity, in the technology, the cost, of course, has come way down. I remember people used to, to laugh when, when companies did contracts with P and G actually for for five cent tax. Mm-hmm. and everybody laughed that that wouldn't happen. And we're seeing some of the largest accounts today are achieving that. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I think it's it's exciting. We're definitely in a different place than we were even five years ago. And so good to see. You. And what's most important is the value propositions that are being realized by our retail. Retail partners.
0: That is true. And
1: that brings us very nicely to Stadium and,
0: and and Johan. So maybe we start with the story there. So share with us a little bit of the background. What were you guys trying yeah. to solve for when you reached out to Dean?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I can just add on to what Dean said with what we've seen, because we followed RFID technology for a long time, is ah. as prices drops and the technology increases in performance and and the quality of it they kind of meet up somewhere and and became very interesting so that's one one thing that really made even though RFID has existed for a long time that made it really interesting when we went for it so to speak but if I'll back sorry, up, and, if, if I may just
0: to, yeah? sorry to interrupt but just to kind of stay with that because you said something very interesting that you've been tracking RFID for some time. Yeah. When specifically was it like in the past three or four years or earlier or later, did you find that the uh, price performance became strong enough that you could actually track apparel at a unit level using RFID? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I think so. I started, I think I heard of RFID for real about 2006 or something like that and mm-hmm. and then i would guess it, it was a, about 2015 or something uh, and when we also realizing that oh, we are having some some kind of issues that it, it would be you would be able to to do an ROI on uh, on rfid got it. So, okay yeah
0: very helpful. Yeah. So, so, yes, please continue the RFID stadium story.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and to back up, and, and so it, it, it kind of all started with that one thing that's worse than having no data is having false data or bad data. And wh- when, we, when we did inventories, manual inventories once a year, We had a result of 99.5%. And our belief was that that's the inventory accuracy. Mm. It's kind of... Now when we have gone through this journey, being where we are now, that doesn't make sense. But when backing up, that was what we thought. And when you have that feeling of 99.5% inventory accuracy, you're happy with that. And (laughs) and you're, you're not pursuing... Those last, that last excellence. And it was when store managers kept calling us saying that this doesn't really add up. A lot of items are missing. It can't really be 99.5%. And we started to investigate that. And to make a long story short, we finally realized that we are actually measuring a financial accuracy which is 99.5%. But that doesn't really say anything about the inventory accuracy. And then finding out, okay, we're at about 70% inventory accuracy. And then then you have good data or real real data, but, but you don't like the data. And then it's time to do something. So that's the background story of it.
0: That is fascinating. I and mean, of course, not just the difference between 70% and 99.5%. But also, I suspect somewhere in there is the scale of time. One is to to do the cycle count or, or the count once a year. And then the other is to find out that, hey, maybe the, the inventory is correct, but when you kind of match it up against the demand, that could lead to out-of-stock situations, which is a totally different metric than, is my inventory accurate? So, was some of this, I, I suspect it is true, but was some of this at the store owner level, was that driven by concerns around out of stock?
2: Yeah, I, I would say that's. we built the entire case around out-of-stock mm. situations and store staff really became logistics staff mm. instead of sales staff. Mm. They went out searching for <laughs> items that, that wasn't there. So you really end up with a situation where you lose sales, you use your resources poorly, and you get unhappy customers. It's a bad place to be. And when you take inventory once a year, and no one likes to do inventory, so the the actual quality of an inventory, a manual inventory, you could you can argue about that. But also, if you do it once a year, and then you have uh, events affecting. The inventory accuracy like theft picking errors that you push into the store day after day for an entire year you end up at a bad place yes yeah so and, and now we're doing inventory once a week so
0: yeah that's what i would have assumed yeah I, it's yeah. the the responsiveness the ability to respond the ability to do a promotion or advertising and make sure you've got the right inventory, not just the average product inventory. Exactly. I mean, you know, there, there are so many opportunities, which is which is really, going back to you, Dean, I, I think, which has probably also been a real big driver, especially in the more recent years. I mean, the move towards personalization, the move towards wanting to do very specific, targeted uh, marketing the promotions and things like that that requires accuracy at a unit level so is this use case of unit level store out of stock situation a fairly common one that you guys work at at sml
1: yeah i mean it's the focus i mean it's uh, you take you take johan's example and for of a retailer and i'm not going to disclose their numbers but if you have a retailer that's at 70% item level inventory accuracy, that means, in in principle, they're 15% overstated in their ERP system and 15% understated. Mm. So they they think they have items that they don't have, and they don't have items that they think they have. Mm. And so imagine, especially, you know, we really saw an acceleration of this after, after stores came out of COVID lockdowns is that they had to use their stores for online fulfillment. And the number one topic among new customers and existing customers is I've got to use my stores as fulfillment centers. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so if Tony wants to buy a ski jacket from Stadium, and Stadium is going to basically for a buy online, pickup in store order, Stadium has to make a commitment that is a contract between the consumer and the retailer that that product is there and imagine doing that if your inventory is overstated by 15%. There's a real strong chance that Tony when you show up at the store it's not going to be there or you're going to get a note from a retailer saying that they're canceling the order. Mm. And and so the number one item right now is associated with getting rid of these out of stocks but more importantly to, to Johan's point, is, a, is that getting an accurate view of what I actually have and being able to keep it at that 98 plus percent range from for across every month? Because if you look at what happens, a physical count takes place in July, and let's assume a physical count is 92% accurate, 94% accurate at the item level. Every week there's distortions of plus or minus two to 3%. And by the time you get to, to June again, you're off by 60, you're off by 35%. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so what idea is beautiful about, not only is it accurate, but it also self-corrects. So we've got customers that are doing, once it, they're doing counts every day. Mm-hmm. We've got customers that are doing counts every week. Like Johan mentioned, we have customers that are doing it every other week. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what the replenishment model looks like. But exactly. the, the, the fundamental is associated with this out-of-stock issue and getting a good view of inventory.
0: Now, we talked about out of stock being the primary use case. But once you actually do this, I assume that the impact can be also measured in, in earlier points in the supply chain, at, at the warehouse, or maybe even at the supplier level. So, are many of the use cases, they, they may be driven, of course, by the consumer impact on the store. But do you find that the development of the solutions, once you have the RFID in the product, There's nothing that prevents you from actually optimizing other nodes in the supply chain. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. And the marginal cost to do that is relatively low because you've already paid for Mm -hmm. the tag on the product to your point, Tony. So, and that's exactly the model that we see happening is start in the store and get the business case in place and then work your way back up. And we're seeing that model play out. I'll let Johan comment too, so.
2: yeah yeah that's please go ahead yeah Yeah, that's exactly what what we are doing now so when we have invested in in the tag we want to leverage that tag throughout the supply chain as much as possible and the fundamental of a a good supply chain would be that the earlier in the supply chain that you that you find an error and correct it the 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 more cheaper it is that's So, the low hanging fruit, so to speak, was in the store, but there are big benefits in, in our DC. So, we, we have invested in a few RFID tunnels and placed them at, at, our, our, uh, at our DC. And, and for instance, if you can, what's gonna, what we have picked to a store, if there is a picking error, if we can stop that uh, and correct it at the DC, that's a benefit. And that's what we're working on right now. That the, if there is a picking error, that carton will go to a React station and, and we'll handle that before we send it to the store. That's quality is, and reducing complexity and reducing errors really will, in the end, drive a, a resource effective supply chain. Absolutely.
0: And and Johan, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners, so what were the outcomes to the extent that you can share? How much improvement did you see?
2: Yeah. So at first, when we realized that we're at 70%, we did a pilot in two stores. And those two stores were actually at 65% inventory accuracy. And we quite fast went up to 97%. Mm-hmm. Inventory accuracy uh, and and at that point we also saw Increase in sales and that all makes sense that if you don't have the product on the sales floor It's not going to yeah. sell that yeah. but after the deployment. We are fully deployed in, in all our stores and I would say we are about 99.5% in inventory accuracy now um, we're having all these benefits of this like the staff in the store, they are not logistic staff anymore. Yeah. They don't customers don't come up and ask where is this item? Okay. Because it, it is there. We we know it's there. And in the case that a customer tries something and put it back somewhere else, we have this Geiger functionality that lets us find that article and sell it anyway. So we, we are really leveraging that tag throughout the store that's awesome that's
0: fabulous so just to stay with stadium obviously this is a an important intervention not just for out of stock but entire supply chain efficiency but it's also a big intervention because now now you are changing the the everything from the technology you talked about RFID tunnels so on and so forth you're changing a lot of things technology work processes maybe even people capabilities what was the biggest challenge for you through all of this transformation,
2: yeah, I, I would say, I would say data quality or product data, and I I would guess that is a common problem. But you don't know you have it, or FID will reveal problems to you. So, mm-hmm. so we we discover duplicates, skews, and those kind of, of things. So that that was the biggest the biggest obstacle to, to overcome because that to some extent also is like a cultural process in the company, within the company. The buying department needs to have better control over how the data is entered and, and so on. So bringing in, 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 if you're going for this, bringing in other departments at an early stage is, is a good advice.
0: Oh yeah, bringing in the, the other department. so you get buy-in on all of the transformation and yeah. that way you are doing things with them as opposed to doing things to them. Yeah, and It sounds yeah. like really, really strong business transformation and, and digital transformation use case there. Congratulations yeah. and, and, and the, the, the benefits. I mean, <laughs> to go from 65-70% accuracy to 995 Yeah. Although I suspect somewhere in somewhere in stadium there's this guy that says, it was always 99.5. I mean, you know, we, we were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's fabulous. Congratulations. Now, Dean, back to you. So, clearly, this is a technology that has finally reached its price performance and, and use case points. But we still don't have every store or every retailer saying, I have to implement this, right? The, the, the opportunity may be evident to us, but there's still resistance out there. So what is the biggest reason why you think some retailers still aren't looking at this technology?
1: That's a great question, Tony. I mean, um, I'm a big believer in a big follower of Jeffrey Moore's Crossing the Chasm, okay? And clearly, the item-level RFID market in retail is following that exact pattern. And the market itself is only about 15% penetrated in North America and Europe from a number of stores for apparel and footwear, much less than that when you include homeware and when you include fragrance and cosmetics and electronics and so on. So the biggest challenge is, mean, you mentioned it a second ago, Tony, is all the stakeholders that this, that this transformation touches. It touches the merchandising people. It touches the store ops. It touches IT. It touches supply chain. And so unlike an e-commerce website, that impacts only the IT organization and the e-commerce business. This is touching everything. And so one of the things that we've seen is when there is top-down support, then the, those committees, those teams are formed. The other thing is is taking an honest look at where you are. I think that's one of the things that Johan Highlighted that they did at stadium. They took they, instead of taking the oh we have good inventory and leaving it at that. They challenged their own assumptions. And retailers who are challenging their own assumptions associated with their inventory accuracy and their true in store performance are the ones who are moving forward. Because once once you do a pilot and once you see where you're really at, it forces that's a forcing function that drives change. Because you can't ignore it anymore. And, and I think that we're seeing a lot of retailers show some courage to really look at themselves in the mirror and look and see what is their inventory and how is that impacting their business.
0: And do you think that omni-channel, especially in the industries that you talked about, you know, apparel, uh, shoes, so on and so yep. forth, uh, is a driver because it is forcing the stores, as, as you guys were saying earlier, to also become fulfillment points and therefore out of stocks become really important.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's becoming the burning platform that's causing people to jump because the the stress that that's putting on their labor pool, mm. the stress that that labor pool is already stressed because they can't get people to work and yeah. in some places and and so on. So there's a number of, of things that culminated in addressing more change and the willingness to change. In their store, and and all of those things have kind of come together. Like I've had discussions with executives where they're going, we we can't operate the way we did yeah. in 2019 anymore.
0: Yeah, no, I, I it's suspect just, it's just the, not going to work. Yeah, I suspect the labor shortage is is definitely one of those tension points that's driving technology adoption.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's a soft point in the sorry, it's a soft point in the business case. Mm. Because it's difficult to quantify, but it is a qualitative thing that comes up all the time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh,
2: can, can I add on to that Please. the driving factor that, that we saw for take you were asking that question earlier to draw what, what made us jump into RFID or, or do that? And that was really when we saw the the seventy percent inventory accuracy and and how to reach that understanding was that really it really was challenging status quo or challenging ourselves and that wasn't that wasn't easy for us to, to go through that. That was that was painful but it was necessary and it was really hard as well to because if if I would go to a store manager and, and ask what's your inventory accuracy, he has thirty thousand pieces in a store and he has no way of really having control over that. But, but he, he is proud and he, and he has a belief that he has a good inventory accuracy. And it would be like if, if, I, if I had a car company and I would go to an engineer and ask, have you designed a good engine? He's not going to say, ah, it's, it's an wow. average engine. It's, it could be better. It's, he's he's going to say it's the best engine. It's got the best mileage and so on. And it was the same thing for us. So we really had to do that pilot to get the result. And that that pilot, even that pilot was initially challenged by the board saying, okay, we need to validate this. But how do you validate the RFID like it's a technology? It would almost be like validate a map with a (laughs) GPS or, or, or the other way around. So is the GPS correct? I'll I'll get my map and do it the old manual way. So it really was a a challenge to go through. But once we made it through, it was so clear what we needed to do. Uh, So I think that's the exact moment when it happened for us.
0: That's a really fascinating perspective because specific technologies like RFID, I mean, there's nothing... To prove because they have been around for a long time. So it is more the acceptance. And then within the organization, the organization resistance and change management, which you so eloquently talked about, Johan, one of the reasons I find that with many of these technologies, and these technologies don't even have to be particularly disruptive, I don't think RFID is disruptive from a technical standpoint. The use cases, of course, are disrupted. But what I find is that the challenge is that most organizations end up in this never-ending cycle of constant pilot tests. So you test it in one location or one store, and then somebody questions that and says, yeah, but it worked for that store. Can you prove that it also works in this other country, and then you do another one, and so on and so forth. And pretty soon, after several tests, you just the idea loses momentum. So I give you guys credit, I think, I suspect, Dean, both for your technology as well as the, the transformation approach, because I think you guys were able to very quickly bring the organization together on what matters most, which is the business case. And then once that's established, then, of course, you just move. But it's a wonderful story, and I could keep going deeper into it. But we've come to the stage where we would like to learn a little more about Johan and Dean, not the professionals, but the persons, through a segment that we call Rapid Fire Questions, where I'm going to ask you guys questions that are much more personal than about your own companies. It gives us the insight into the individuals behind some of these change leadership people. So, Dean and Johan, are you willing to play along?
2: <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, sounds fun. sure.
0: All right. Okay. All right. I'm going to start with you, Dean. So, what's the best thing you have bought recently?
1: I bought a battery-powered snow thrower. Oh, cool. Okay. And so, we've got four and a half feet of snow here in northern New Mexico. And for me to get from my garage to my house usually takes me 45 minutes to shovel through all that yeah and so i also know that ethanol screws up carburetors yeah and so i didn't want a gasoline powered so i bought a, a, a battery powered and i'm telling you it has been fantastic this last we had a storm up here in december so i needed to come up to my cabin to see if everything was okay and i can tell you i am thrilled with the choice i made johan
0: how about you
2: yeah, adding on to Dean's battery powered snow thrower thing. <laughs> I bought a Tesla a half a year ago and I just, because I love technology and also processes, and I think they work really. It's interesting to read about that company. Yeah, I, I, I love that car, even though I sometimes can't get into the car when it's snowing and the door is freezing but the software is amazing and and, and the engine and the drivetrain and so on yeah but that uh, oh that's fabulous I still love it I can it. see that
0: <laughs> yeah I, I I can see that those are just amazing vehicles all right now Johan just to stay with you since since this is a retail show what has been your most memorable retail experience in in the recent past?
2: So I, b- I bought a TV recently and I, d- I did a research online when I knew the stores were closed. And uh, I looked at the, where I usually buy my electronics and I could see they, they didn't have it. So I looked at another store and they had it. So I planned tomorrow morning I will go there. But then tomorrow morning, the other day then, the morning, I, I, I looked once more at the inventory accuracy, being a supply chain developer. <laughs> And suddenly they didn't have it and the store hadn't opened. I knew they had done some kind of batch processing during the night. So I went there anyway and they didn't have it in the sales floor and they should have had it there. But but I still went up and asked and they had it in the back stock. And I'm so amazed how, how people can do business like that, have the merchandise in the back stock. So it wasn't a good experience, but it was a memorable experience. Yes.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a fabulous experience and, and one that I'm sure Dean is listening to very intently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, potential RFID customer. Yeah, there. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dean, I'm going to switch questions and you. So in this show, we have the opportunity of, of doing a a bump where now that you guys are famous stars, having featured on this podcast, you're going to have a different brands lining up to sponsor you so for you dean if if you had to pick one brand that you'd love to be sponsored by who would that be and
1: why no question it would be nike mm. okay so i would love to have nike as my be a spokesman for middle-aged guys <laughs> with nike so how about you johan i
2: i could have said nike as well but i think right now i have a, it's tesla <laughs>
1: Oh, you yeah. still go with Tesla, yeah.
0: okay? Let's try one other question. Staying with you, Johan, what yeah. is the most interesting app on your phone right now?
2: I really don't know. I'm. I think I'm. I'm a boring person, kind of. It's. It's going to be home. Oh, I a, doubt home it. automation stuff like uh, Hue. Uh, oh, that uh, is yeah. cool, Johan, Yeah.
0: What What do you use? I
2: yeah. would be Google Home and 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 Hue app and mm. uh, to control. Every part of my home I think, which is really fun. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, that's I think that's gonna be my answer, Google Home or something like that.
1: Yeah. Very
0: nice. How about you, Dean?
1: I've got a couple of rental properties and so I use VRBO Mm. as to manage them. And they've really figured out how to make it easy for to intermediate us away from the the people who are renting our vacation homes. It's the best one for me right now. Very easy to do.
0: Yeah, Verbo is absolutely fabulous. I, I, I can yeah. vouch for that. Very good. Hey, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for opening up a little bit. It it gives us a more personal insight into transformation leaders. And so before we leave this show, I'd like to tap into your brains and, and, and collect some advice on behalf of our listeners. I'm going to ask this question to both of you. Let me start with you, Dean. In the context of the conversations that we've been having about retail and supply chain and rfid what advice would you give to people around this particular technology
1: i mean i think the, the fundamental thing is really look at at what the impact of having inaccurate inventory does to you and the journey that johan talked about is exactly what we see for most retailers is we've been doing it this way for 20 30 40 years we've got good inventory we run our business we're profitable but I think the rules are changing and they're going to change very rapidly in multiple retail segments. And, and my advice would be maybe their inventory is good because they put a lot of labor around it. But my advice is really take a hard look at what your inventory accuracy is at the item level if you're an apparel, footwear, home goods, electronics, cosmetics, and fragrance retailer. That is sound advice. And on the
0: other side of the fence for retail, Johan, having been through this exciting little journey, what advice would you give to potential retailers that are looking at this journey now?
2: I would be to, to, to reference Dean and Nike, kind of just do it. You, you need to, <laughs> at first challenge, really challenge your status quo, really do that. And then just take that first step. And when you do that, keep it simple. That, that would be reduce the complexity, keep it simple. We only had one KPI in our pilot, and, and that was inventory accuracy, one KPI. And that drove the entire business case as well.
0: What I love about those pieces of advice, Johan and, and Dina, is that they are practical, they are very pragmatic, and they are obviously very, very effective. So thank you for that. And of course, thank you, johan stenstrom and dean through for joining us today this was a really interesting conversation specifically on how you take an idea that most people assume is already out there and then you actually just do it as you said johan it, it it was fascinating to hear your stories thank you for being with us
2: today thank you
0: thank you thank you and of course as always to all of our listeners out there thanks for joining us today i hope you enjoyed this show Make sure you subscribe, as always, at www.winningretailpodcast.com. And until next time, keep reinventing retail.
1: Thank you again for listening to Winning Retail. To find more episodes and subscribe to our newsletter, go to winningretailpodcast.com.